This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Final Command Ministries. Here's audio content from Final Command and their track called Viral Disciple-Making Movements. I want to reward those of you who are here on time by starting on time. It really grates on me to have folks show up on time and then we wait for the folks who are dragging. Uh, so I'm going to give you bonus material and they can come on in as, as they get here and we'll welcome them and be happy they're here. Uh, Final Command Ministries takes its name from a book that Claude King, uh, who co-authored Experiencing God, serves as the president of our board of directors, uh, wrote a book where he noticed in, in Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission is Jesus' final command. And sort of taking up on the theme that what, what your last command is from your officer is something that, you know, it's, it's important you're responsible to stay after it and to see the mission all the way through. And we call it the Great Commission because he's the one who speaks with all authority and he's called us into his mission. It, it's not our mission. It's King Jesus' mission. And, and we're on mission with him. Uh, from the stage, if you've been here for each of the, the, the big gatherings, uh, the these parts of these words have been quoted and parsed and debated, and there's, there's real value, I, I believe. I was pleased uh, to, to see the openness in discussing some of the hardness of how do, we, how do we use terms, how do we use them well, and then how do we use them in ways that reflect the biblical intent uh, in our efforts. Uh, you know from all the experts who are in Greek, and I'm not one of them, that the main verb here is this, make disciples. And there are three participial phrases that support this, define this, strengthen it, push it, direct it, channel it. Uh, this, this opening word, go, uh, some translations, as you are going. A lot of Jesus' discipling of the twelve happened while they're going places. And I, I just mention that as a way of encouraging you, take somebody along as you're going places and redeem the time of your travel. Multiply its effects. Uh, those conversations... You know, they don't have to be full-blown teaching sessions or preaching sessions, but a lot of dialogue. Uh, conferences, forums, whatever word you want to use for gatherings like this, a lot of times the sideline conversations impact us more than the stage conversations. As you're going to the next session, what are you talking about? Who are you talking with? Are you using that time intentionally, uh, or is it just passing time? 
but as you're going, you're, you're making disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe or obey. And this is a word that still carries in Great Britain's linguistics the meaning of put into practice, obey. Here in the U.S., it's been weakened to largely look at with your eyes. And I'm convinced that a part of the reason that a lot of people misquote the the Great Commission as teach them everything I've commanded you, teach them my commands, is because this word that lives on in our collective memory, those of us who are older, through the King James Bible's influence, observe. And now the word observe is, is more be aware of, maybe you can quote some of them, but do we really have any sense of obligation to put them into practice? Well, in the Queen's English, observe still carries that meaning. Um, if, if you want people to be sure to not miss this, you may want to use a different translation if the King James or New King James or one of the ones that uses observe is there. Because I'm convinced uh, Satan's used some of our linguistic shifts uh, to blind us to some of what's being said here. Uh, Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus is the one who's speaking. He's the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. And then he follows this up with the promise, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. It's bracketed between his authority and his presence. And, And this is our response to who he is and the fact that we're wanting him present with us. A lot of us want the promise without the responsibility. We want the presence of Jesus without going. But uh, somebody asked me, you know, how I was feeling this morning. I said, pretty good since I woke up at 4 a.m. wide awake thinking about yesterday and today. And 5.30, I'm still awake, still processing things, and I think I might as well get up and take my shower. And that way, even if there's a car accident on 109 like there was yesterday, I can probably get around it and and be there for my 8.15. So my great fear is when you're the first on and you're an hour and five minutes without traffic types, and you leave an hour and five minutes, what if there's a traffic time? Okay, so uh, enough about all that. There was something. All of this has been quoted from the stage, but there's something missing from the Great Commission as it appears on the board. Now, that's the promise. That's before. (laughs) Pantata ethne Disciple all the nations, all the ethnic groups. This ethne, this Greek word, is the word from which we get our 
ethno ethnics ethno linguistic groups the the language groups if the global church isn't intentionally strategically focused on overcoming the fact that there are thousands literally thousands of unreached unengaged people groups we are not being discipled by Jesus yet Now, the incredible thing about living right now where we live is you don't have to go across the Pacific to interact with Asian people groups. You don't have to get on a plane and go across the Atlantic to interact with African people groups. Metropolitan Davidson County, we're just outside of Davidson County, right? Gee, we're we're in Sumner. Sumner County is one of the counties north east of Davidson County. In in Davidson County, I'm told there are sixty eight I think it's Muslim people groups present in Metropolitan Davidson County. The largest Kurdish population outside of Kurdistan lives in Davidson County. When they hold national elections in Kurdistan, they set up polling booths in Nashville, and those votes from Kurdish people count for their elections. 138 different languages are spoken by children in metropolitan Davidson County school system. The nations have come to us. Is our thinking about disciple making big enough? Is it far enough? Is it broad enough? Is it strategic enough to begin to recognize that there are people in our midst who don't look like us, who don't sound like us, who don't live like us, even though they live among us, who don't know the gospel, who don't know King Jesus yet. And that that breaks our heart so deeply that we have to try to reach them. If your discipleship isn't impacting lostness, pockets of lostness, you need to spend more time in the Gospels. The bullseye of the Great Commission has different rings. Right at the center that we need to be sure we're, ta- we're aiming for 
is the nations. If we really believe that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he has the right to speak into our lives and into our churches and into our ministries with all authority. You have the unfortunate blessing this morning of having a a guy who spends most of his time focused on helping people learn to do discovery in a room that's packed so tight we can't get you into the small groups that we would typically do that discovery process in. And your most unfortunate part is he spent 31 years as a pastor. (laughs) And so he loves to preach and he loves to teach. And you put him in this kind of an arrangement and he just flips the switch and goes into that mode. So if I can get the technology to work, uh, I think I can. Uh, We're we're technologically challenged sometimes at Final Command. Uh, To guard against it just being John lecturing or preaching and getting excited and getting on his hobby horse. Uh, I want to use some video. Uh, One of the places where I've done some coaching is here in the U.S. with uh, Christian people who are going to China to teach English as their access ministry. Uh, The wheel, the process wheel that Gordon put up yesterday, if you have the... May I, may I borrow your, the big of no, the book? Just for a second, I should have gotten one of these myself. There's a one-page ad in here for Final Command. They, they gave all of us one of these. Guess what? The process wheel is there. So those of you who were scrambling yesterday to write it down, just make sure you get one of these and hold on to it. If you don't want the whole thing, just tear that page out, and we'll we'll autograph it for you. Uh, no, I'm I'm trying to make a joke, and it wasn't very good this early in the morning. <laughs> My focus is on building teams, coaching uh, leaders of teams. Somebody must be representing another group. Any of you keep up with triathlons on a Global scale, the the world-class best. Uh, Oh, my pop-up. I'm supposed to be texting a group of guys that I have worked with in a discovery group. And my I will statement was I would text them a passage every morning. And so I'll have to catch up on that later on. Um, Get this out of here. Let's get just here. Okay. This is going to be risky because we're going to YouTube to show you a two-minute clip of a recent newscast about a couple of brothers who are triathletes, world-class triathletes. It's not available. Do I want to proceed? Yes, I think so. Now, let me just tell you. You can Google it. Brownlee Triathlon. We're not going to go there this morning. Their site is not allowing me to. This brother was in first place 700 yards from the end 
and he didn't pace himself. It was hot and humid, and he started wobbling all over the track and finally stopped. This brother was in third place, has the chance very easily to pass his brother, probably could have passed the guy who was in second place, but he stops to pick up his brother and wraps his arm around his shoulder and drags him to the finish line and then pushes him across. He takes second, his brother takes second and he takes third when he probably could have come in first, but they got the the gold, I mean, the, the, the silver and the bronze medal in the world championships. It reminded me of the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, be sure to take somebody with you. Why do you need a team? Well, it just really depends on are you going fast or are you going far? Our North American efficiency model highly praises fast. But, you know, there are things you just can't do if you're not part of a team. And some of you may say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a leader. I, I, you know, and now you're, you're raising the bar and you say, you've got to have a, a team. All I want you to think about is, if you start in this process, this wheel of prayer and fasting, access ministries, you're serving with purpose to find persons of peace, you want to find those persons of peace so that the gospel can go into their friendship group, into their family group, to, dis, to begin these Discovery Bible studies, in that Discovery Bible study, be prayerful as it is ongoing about whether or not God might use that very group to raise up a team. Because you see, the next part, number five in that wheel, is embrace multiplication. What will it take to see the gospel flow through the Kurdish community in metropolitan Nashville. What's most needed are strong, vibrant, Kurdish disciple makers. More so than multiplying the number of Anglos who are focused on the Kurdish. Now, we may need a lot of Anglos focused on them to get that really strong, vibrant team. We're probably going to need a lot to help support them and encourage them and coach them and mentor them. But ultimately, people groups are reached from within best. What does it take to raise up a team focused on an ethnic group at the MTSU campus in Murfreesboro? Where are you from, brother? Another state, right? Tyler, Texas. Texas. Is there a campus? Yeah, University of Texas in Tyler. Okay. What will it take to raise up a team focused there with the goal of raising up a team within there that will reach the campus? 
you know, unless I'm a professor, guys like me or somebody on staff, we, we sort of stand out on the university campus. And not necessarily in a favorable way, especially as we talked yesterday, if they find out I'm a pastor or a pastor background. Okay, here's the week. We start with prayer and fasting. And, and I want you to, we didn't talk a lot about fasting yesterday. It's one of the things we have to do some coaching on because it's really countercultural. It's not about increasing your willpower by making you extra hungry. Now, some of that may come from fasting. But it's about creating bandwidth. It's about creating space to listen to God. How many of you visited third world countries? Okay, most everybody in this room. Have you had a group of women who spend all day preparing an evening meal for your entourage? If your group fasted one meal and invited those women to pray, wonder what kind of an effect that might have. And you still paid them for the meal. Our service is to demonstrate the goodness of the gospel. To create an opportunity for spiritual conversations. So that when people in closed areas, restricted areas, carefully guarded areas like the Kurdish community ask you, why are you living here? You have a legitimate reason. Other than, I've painted my target on your back. And it just makes it easier for me. Why are you here? That's a question. If you're living the gospel out loud, you'll be asked. And you need to be prepared for a healthy answer. Looking for persons of peace, people who will open up their friendship group, who will open up their relationships, people who will influence, people who are insiders will help you to gain access to other insiders or will help really the gospel gain access more so than you. They're the bridges that the gospel is able to enter into their people group through. And this comes out of Luke chapter 10 when Jesus sends the 72 out two by two. The goal is these discovery Bible studies where people are listening to God and they're, they're hearing through the group what, what God's saying to each one. And they're hearing reports of how people's efforts to obey, to put into practice what they're hearing from God, how those Things are going. Some weeks it's good. There's breakthrough. There's somebody that they've talked to that, that finds it interesting. Other weeks it's hard. They, they really couldn't have the courage. They, they didn't have the courage uh, to share. They, they, they were there eyeball to eyeball and they just backed out. 
Now, that's not the time to beat one another up. It's the time to be an encouragement. Maybe the problem was they went alone where Jesus sends them out two by two and maybe they need someone to say, you know, if I went along, would that help? Embracing multiplication. How do we make it go viral? That, that's a big part. That use of that word, why some of you have come to this session. This is a young lady that is working in China. She had been there a year when I met with her in China the first time. Didn't, didn't meet her here in the U.S. Shared with her some of the Discovery Bible Study approach because it answered a question she was raising. On her campus, 90% of all of the English majors, which she primarily works with because she doesn't speak <coughs> Mandarin, she speaks English. The reason the Chinese government's paying for her to work in the school and providing an apartment for her and, and a round-trip ticket every year to and from home to China is because she speaks English. She actually speaks the Queen's English. Uh, as she'll share with you, she was born in Jamaica, lived in London, 2012, felt this call of God, and, and went to China. 90% of the English people, English majors, the primary people, the group that she's working with, are women. She's a woman. She's inherited a small house church. I'm just giving you a little bit of background from a former teacher. It's all women. She doesn't personally, her, her, her belief of Scripture is women shouldn't be in the primary preaching role. And yet that's what she's inherited from the former male teacher with all this group of women. And that's what she's been doing, but she doesn't, it doesn't feel right for her. And she's trying to figure out how, how, to, how do we do it differently. Her, her biggest thing was she wasn't wanting to disciple up a whole group of women pastors. Now, this is her problem. This is where she's sort of dialoguing with me early on. And this idea of a group exploring Scripture together being guided by some basic questions intrigues her. Well, we were together in Malaysia, and, and I pulled out my camera. I apologize. It's going to be sort of wobbly at points. Maybe it won't make you seasick. Uh, and I interviewed her, and I've taken her interview and broken it down into those five parts uh, just to share some of her thoughts. Okay, prayer and fasting. If you want to impact your church, find a mission point if you don't already have one and mobilize your people to begin to pray, especially for persons of peace in that place. Now, when you use that phrase in many places, it's going to create the opportunity of some people saying, well, what is this person of peace you keep talking about? When people ask you questions, you know they're either curious, they're, they're at least curious, and it's possible God's Spirit is already opening them. We use questions a lot because we want to know, are they curious? Are they open? We want to spend the majority of our time with people who are 
at least curious, but we're especially wanting to spend time with people who are open. Why would an organization invest money in this kind of an activity, in this kind of an event? We're looking for people who are curious about viral disciple making. But we're especially looking for people who are open to really learning to do viral disciple making. How do we transition things we're already doing toward disciple making? How do we do them with kingdom impact? Serve with purpose. Uh, The hard part with this one is we might be able to transition everything our churches are already doing by way of social justice, compassion ministry, to a disciple-making purpose. But you want to know what the greatest challenge will be? There are barriers in the thinking of the people who are doing those works. And one of the biggest barriers is most of them say, I don't, if they become honest, if they become transparent with you, I don't know how. And they'll use some kind of word, evangelize, witness, whatever term they use. What you need to recognize is they have a connotation to that word that's been shaped by someone, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. And what they're telling you is, I cannot do what I've heard evangelism is. Can you expose them to something where, like Gordon shared yesterday, They'll say, sure, I could do that. Anybody can do that. Last night in the discussion about tools, is it simple enough that anybody would say, I can learn to use that. I I can learn to use it well. I do woodworking as a hobby. I have, I don't know, probably close to 100 different saws. Every saw in my woodworking shop does one thing. It cuts wood. Somebody says, well, why in the world do you need a hundred? Well, there's some that cut long straight lines. And there's some that cut really intricate curvy lines. And depending on the piece of wood you're working on, you need a different saw for those. But they all cut wood. Now, just because they cut wood doesn't mean the guy behind them cuts it well. So there's some of what you have to practice. The, the reason we don't just willy-nilly give out the eight questions that drive a discovery Bible study, we've done that some. Uh, they're simple enough. A lot of people look at them and say, too simple, won't work. The people I'm thinking about won't care about these things. Don't you get bored using the same questions every week? That's the implied question behind that. Well, if you're depending on the questions to bring excitement instead of the word, yes. If you're depending on the presenter to present the excitement, yes. Who's the teacher is the question. 
But I'm off. I told you. I'm, I'm dangerous. Serve with purpose. Uh, let, let's listen to this young lady talking about her, her ministry. I, I was born in Jamaica. I moved to England and I lived in England for 20 years. And I studied and worked in England. And in 2012, I got this strong conviction to be a missionary. And so I packed everything up and moved to China. I've been working in China now since 2012, so that makes it five years, and we're in 2016. Uh, in China, I, as a missionary, I teach English in a university to support myself. And yes, through that teaching, I, God's been really gracious in giving us teachers the opportunity to spread the gospel through English. So there are a number of ways I use uh, English to get the gospel out to students. I think very carefully and very prayerfully about how I organize each lesson. And I use themes from the Bible, themes related to life, to business, because I teach a number of subjects. I teach business writing, business English, phonetics, and the Bible to some classes, students. And so I use themes from the Bible and use those themes to organize the class. So in preparation for a class, I am usually very prayerful. I am very aware that the work I'm doing is the Lord's work. And so I, I, I think one of my fears is to inter interfere in that, what God is doing. And so I'm always very prayerful for direction as to how to structure my class and so my typical prayer would include Lord what is it you want the students to hear are there any hearts out there that are seeking is the, how do you want to use me today and so for example so once I do that I then move ahead depending on what you know I, I feel the spirit is saying to my heart at any time um, a typical lesson would, it could range from marriage to love, um, characteristic building. Um, and so one example, so let, let's take the example on love. So I would use the book, 1 Corinthians 13, What is Love? Ask my students to work in group to discuss among themselves what is their definition of love. And then I would share the Bible definition of love and ask them to talk about the differences, any surprises, was that their understanding, what's strange to them. And we only have 90 minute classes, so it's trying to make the best of you know that short amount of time in each class. So that's one example. And then we have feedback by saying, you know, I'm never ever scared to say, well, I am a Christian, and this is the way I was raised, and so my understanding of love is going to be based on biblical principles, and so I want to share this with you. What are your thoughts? And so that's a typical class. I'm always hoping that, obviously, what I teach, others will be touched by it, and I keep an ear out and an eye out to see if people, or to hear if people, you know, 
want to know more, want to learn more, and so that's when I, you know, see opportunities to study the Bible in more depth. This young lady is known on her campus as a strong Christian. The administrators there value what they've seen in her character. And so they've allowed her, uh, usually one semester each year, uh, to do a uh, an overview of the Bible as it relates to character. And so... Her character has created an opening. Now, that won't happen on every university campus. A lot of it depends on the administrative people, the location. But it came because of her character in business. And, you know, if you read international news much, you know China has its problems, as well as the U.S., with business ethics. And the Chinese recognize more than some American groups would want to recognize that the biblical basis behind business ethics is woefully lacking. Uh, Her goal is to find the persons of peace and those studies go out of the classroom. This can be used in North American campuses by Christian professors. There's a part of me that wonders, you know, why why aren't we, why don't don't we have organizational structures where professors are getting together and sharing their struggles and their successes on using whatever their material is to be a way to shine the light of the gospel not preaching, not teaching in classes, but exploring the biblical themes that relate to their material. We, we lament that you know prayer's been taken out of public schools. Have the Christians there stopped praying? Maybe the teacher's not praying over her third grade class like she did 50 years ago. But is she still praying? Is she prayer walking the desk in her classroom? Is the teacher aide prayer walking the halls? Prayers only left schools because the Christians there have stopped praying. We're looking for persons of peace. We're looking for those who are open. We're looking for those who who see something in our life and in our practice and our words that intrigues them, that that causes them to to believe there may be a better way. There may be another way. One of our challenges is that we do not reach a lot of men, Chinese men. And so they're very rare. And so they become really precious. Brian is a student who I, I taught English, oral English, to uh, four years ago. I, I met him as one of my students. And I would never have thought of all the students I, I, I taught 
I've never, he was, he was the last person that I think, I don't know why, I just kind of felt, oh, no, not him, to become a Christian. And it so happened when I met him, he has his, he has a girlfriend, and they went to every class, English class together, and they started studying the Bible together. How I met, how I was, how I knew Brian was interested in the Bible is another teacher, he is very open on campus, so he goes out and he's not afraid to say, I'm a Christian, do you want to know about Jesus? And it so happened that they agree, Brian and four other people agreed to a study. And this teacher happened to be, he decided to leave my school to teach at another school. And he asked me to take on this group. And so that's how I met Brian. So he asked me to take on this group of students. And there were a number of students I thought, no way. They're just so bright and they're going to say, oh, well, I don't need God. And when the students turned up to my home for the study, Brian was one of them. And I thought, really? And so I studied with Brian and Brian became a Christian. And really, really, that taught me a lot about God and about my attitude as well. And he became a very committed Christian. He's very active in evangelism, very active on campus, very active in sharing what he learns from the study group with his dormitory um, friends, the friends he shares, the students he shares his dorm with. Very active in his local community because he lives hours away from his hometown. And so when he goes home, he takes the gospel home, tries to evangelize in his local village. And so that's, that's taught me a lot, as I said, about my attitude and about people and the power of God. The power of God. McKenna grew up attending Long Hollow. Uh, she was a president of her Fellowship of Christian Athlete organization at her public school here in Sumner County. Uh, vivacious, outgoing. Uh, went to school uh, over in East Tennessee. And because she started, she, she learned, she was exposed to Discovery Bible Studies here at Long Hollow through her family. Uh, they, they got infected through Final Command. Her mom and dad did through Gordon back here especially. And they trained McKenna and her sister. And so McKenna, when she got to campus as a freshman, started a discovery group on her dorm floor. It was a group of Christian girls sort of experimenting, exploring, experiencing this discovery process. And... Uh, Grace, her first cousin, who was a Christian, who was a part of that first group, decided she would start a, a discovery group on her dorm floor, but she was going to especially invite the girls who were not either strong practicing Christians or weren't, weren't believers at all. And she invited a, a Chinese girl uh, to be a part of that group. And so uh, she was coming, she was participating uh, in the questions, she would answer them just like everybody else did. And uh, 
Late in the spring, this, this was not, yeah, this was last, was it last year, Gordon? We went over? April 10th. April 10th. We, we went over to the campus and did sort of an exposure to a bigger group on a Friday night. And we had 70 kids show up to a volunteer thing on a Friday night. Uh, it, it was amazing. We got them into small groups, had them experience. We had a bigger room than this, so we could get them out. And we had them experience it. And after it was over, I, I set the trap. I said, if I gave you, I want you to raise your hand. If I gave you that list of questions we just used, how many of you think you could do it? And 69 hands went up. Now, the Chinese girl's hand went up. She wasn't the one that kept it down. The one girl who didn't raise her hand was new. She knew that there, you know, when old people ask you this kind of question, it's a trap. And, and she, she didn't want to be committing herself to something until she knew what it was. And she took one of them. I, I had copies and uh, we do it in a bookmark. So those of you who are like me and you actually carry a, a real Bible, uh, you can put it in there as your bookmark, and you know it's got it. It's at the place of the passage you're going to be doing it, and it's a cheat sheet for if your memory's a little slow on the uptake of remembering what the questions are. I promise you, three weeks in, you won't refer back to it. Uh, they're that simple. They're very easy. But if you're a digital guy and you use, you know, your Bible on your phone, I mean, I've got a couple different apps, and you know, just take a photograph of it when you finally do get one. And it'll always be there in your notes or wherever you you store things. And it's just there as a fallback crutch. Uh, But anyway, as I was walking around handing these out, the Chinese girl took one. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know anything about her yet. And I turned and went to another group. Grace, the one McKenna had trained in that first group, overheard the Chinese girl say, She looked at it very carefully and she said, I already do all of these. Or no, we already do all these. And Grace said, called her by name, are you talking about in our group in the dorm? And she said, no. She said, every week after we do our study in the dorm, I call my mom on Skype and we work back through the same passage. Her mother lives in Inner Mongolia. Gordon catches the virus, passes it on to McKenna's parents. McKenna catches the virus, passes it on to Grace. Grace catches the virus and exposes a Chinese girl who's at that time was not yet a believer, but she's already walking her mother through it. My only word of counsel through McKenna to Grace was make sure to encourage the girl, to encourage her mother to do it with a group there in their home village, their home city. You know you have a potential multiplier when somebody starts reproducing. And that's the time it's critical to do some coaching. Like that simple recommendation through McKenna to Grace. You know, why don't I just find Grace's number and call her myself and tell her? We see the relationship's already there. The young lady in China shares, you know, the the guy that she didn't expect. I mean, she was exposed to him his freshman year. 
is the one who shows up at her apartment with a group of his friends to begin to explore what is God like. And as he begins to discover the character of God, he falls in love with him and gives him his life. And now he's taking it to his home village. Now he's working with the guys in his dormitory. He's vocal on campus. See, he's able to do it in Mandarin. He understands the culture. He, he knows the price. He knows when, you know, with, with her, they could say, you know, it's easy for you to believe you're a foreigner. What does it look like when this faith is lived by a Chinese student? So that's the power of raising up a team with inside a people group. The discovery process, just a little yeah, more. When I first started using PBS, before that process started, I, I was the center of attention. I was doing the teaching, I was doing the talking, and so the study groups were held in English. And when we started using PBS, one of the, th- one of the first things we, we did was have the meetings, the groups in Chinese, which is a native language. And so that really affected me. I thought, I, I'm sure the Chinese benefited a lot, but then I had to transition into accepting that. Um, you know, there was this, there was this sense of emptiness because, you know, almost again, I wasn't needed anymore. And, and one of the reasons we There was an interpreter to help me to understand what was going on, but we felt for the students to be able to be more, to gain more, having the sessions in their native language would be more beneficial for them. And and so I had to wait until the discussion happened and for the interpreter to explain to me what was just discussed. It took a lot of patience. But, you know, I, I overcame. Um, one of the things we learned as well from using that um, local language approach was one of our students, one of our sisters said, I really didn't realize that we could pray in English, pray in Chinese, sorry. And that was really shocking to me that we had developed this attitude that, you know, we're the teacher, everything must be done in our language, they need to learn the English way, and to the extent where the sister didn't realize that they could actually pray in their own language. Another thing um, that was helpful from that approach became helpful, another thing that approach helped us to realize was that um, a lot of our students were never sure when they come to study if they just want to learn English or if they really are interested in becoming believers or learning more about God. And so that helps to helps us to know who's who, so to speak. Which, you know, frees up our time in a sense. We have more time if we're able to dis, you know, see who's really interested. 
and who isn't to spend that time on people who are really seeking and are obviously seeking, not filling our time, you know, with people who just want to be around foreigners for, you know, English sake. Although having said that, we've been very prayerful about taking that approach because we've also met Chinese people who their first interest was English, but they later became Christians because they realized how good God is as a result of, you know, just hanging out with us. So it's, it's difficult to strike the balance, but I think it's still useful to be wise and to, to try to um, discern. We're going to go on into the next one. So... Uh, we can cover this and then have some time for, for questions and a little more interaction. When I first came to China, I, the program coordinator prepared us, I would say, well for um, missionary work. However, you know, in my mind, I still struggled with a number of things. And one of those things I struggled with was how to effectively evangelize. And so I met John King, I think in 2013, who introduced the Discovery Bible Study Program. And that was, it has been, continues to be an immensely useful program in the sense that it's a, it's a method which has helped me, um, helped the Chinese as well a great deal, more importantly a great deal. Um, what I like about the Discovery Bible Study program or method is it allows each individual an opportunity to develop a mindset, a mindset where they're starting to find out who God is for themselves. I think one of my biggest mistakes was I Initially, when I'd have Bible study groups, I would try to control the meeting. I would do the talking. I, I, I. And with the Discovery Bible Study um, approach, it's an environment where it's a, a group discussion. There's no leader. Each person is participating. And so we take turns to have discussions. Um, it provides an icebreaker. So we're able to find out how people are doing, do they have any challenges, before we go into, okay, the scripture. And it, it focuses a lot on relationships first, and then moves into God, finding out about who God is. What did you learn about, what did you, the individual, learn about God? Not what did I teach you today about God? What did you learn about God? What do you learn about people around you? The other thing I like about the Discovery Bible program is that it also encourages an attitude of discipleship because as part of the program, each participant, including myself, is asked to share, who asked the question, who do you think can benefit from what you learned today? So it engenders that spirit of sharing the word and sharing our learning with others. So that's beautiful. And each week we meet, we reflect as well on the previous week and how we spent our time, 
how we put into practice what we learn from the last study. And so that's really beneficial. So there are, I would say, many advantages, but one of the biggest advantage for, for me using the program, and I think for all of us involved in studying using DBS, is how much the spirit, the spirit's power um, is greater than ours. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can get in the way of what God's doing with our attitude, you know, for control and to take charge of everything. And what I mean by that is um, having to sit back and listen more to what others are saying. Observe more to what, observe more what others are doing in the group. I've seen things, um, seen results um, that I probably wouldn't have been able to see had I been controlling the situation. So that's taught me a lot, letting go of, you know, that need to control. That's taught me a lot as an individual. I have to be patient because I have to wait to hear what everyone else is saying. You know, working with a Chinese group, Chinese students, English isn't their first language. And so the tendency, you know, someone starts to explain what they're seeing from the scripture. My tendency is to finish the sentence for them. But I think using the program somehow has helped me and continues to help me to learn to be patient, to wait, because I want to hear what other people are, other people are hearing what they're seeing as well. I've learned to trust God because in being patient and hearing some of the things that comes out of the study groups, I'm blown away. And so I've learned that it's not all about me. I've learned to trust God to work in each individual as he sees fit. Um, and so my faith grows as well because of that, because seeing God work, and knowing for a fact that it was hard to step back, but him revealing his power because I've stepped back made me realize, wow, just be careful. What might God do through one multiplier who learns to disciple multipliers in a discovery group. I want to make one recommendation which runs somewhat counter to a lot of our presentations. We keep using this DBS or Discovery Bible Study tag. In your effort to reach lost people, just call it a discovery group. Be overt in saying it'll be about the Bible, but most people in the U.S. have a connotation to what a Bible study is, and this isn't it. Now, a discovery group is still odd enough. Give us a couple of years, and you know it, it'll it'll be like I mean DBS. 
you, you want to do something interesting. Well, we're taking a risk. You, you can Google DBS and you can get all kinds of formulas. Well, that phrase started to be used. I was a part of the group that helped start using it about eight to ten years ago. don't remember the exact date. I can look back through my old emails and figure it out. It's gone everywhere, but it doesn't mean the same thing everywhere. It's gone. Um, questions? Yes. I want to ask how this. Um, somebody told me that a good church, the people of a good church, should have nothing in common except for Jesus Christ. And it's something that I struggle with a lot when I am in one of our groups. Uh, a young Christian fellow said, the more I'm a Christian, the less I want to be around non-Christians. And I waited, and I finally said, I think the more you're Christian, the more you should have compassion for other Christians. And the one elder there said, you mean we're going to let homosexuals in? And he wouldn't let it go. The, the thing I would want us to go back to is what is the one with all authority telling us to do? See, the great thing about disciple making in the Great Commission approach is it's not about what you're bringing in. It's about where you're going to. Will we go with the gospel to places of greatest need even if we don't want them to come you know will will we trust that the spirit of god illuminating the word of god is enough to produce the people of god if we identify a community a, a group of people as in desperate need of the gospel based on how different their lifestyle is from what scripture teaches what do they need? They need to be transformed by the Word. See, the, what, what, what that inherently shows is we've exclusively come to think of our work as getting them to come. Where the final command of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel is, no, you're going. Disciple making isn't biblically in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, those Gospelers, isn't about getting them to come to a gathering of Christians. It's about believers going out on mission with Jesus to them. What will it take to see the Gospel planted into those communities and to see the Holy Spirit bring transformation within their lives? Another hand was up back here. Yes, back at the back. There are folks who use hybrid strategies. 
you know, a hybrid car has both gasoline and and electric engines. And this is one of the, there was a great question yesterday over on the side about, you know, how's this going to have to be adapted for the U.S.? Where we started using this most and where we've seen the most traction are in Muslim-dominant areas where, uh, you know, building a hut and putting a cross on it is painting a target. If, if church planting is about the place people gather, you know, you don't want to do that in restricted access places. Uh, with the young lady in China, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the way we typically train people to do things will get a target on you. Or a bomb. Yeah, for a bomb. Okay. Um, so how do you get the gospel out where people don't want it? The, the, the great thing about the discovery groups is they can be as small as, I, I really wouldn't recommend, you know, less than three. Uh, five to six is the ideal number here in the U.S. Uh, unless you've got real time constraints. If it gets much bigger than that, it takes too long. The death of every good small group is it grows. And the, 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 the community practices that made it so good can't be done when it gets so big. They can't be done well. And the, the quieter, shyer people recede into the background and they become the wallflowers. And you've got these few flaming extroverts who get energy from a crowd. And, and they're the ones who are always talking. And they're wondering why these other folks won't talk. But, you know, this idea of dividing or multiplying and becoming two groups, you try to divide that core group and watch both of them fall flat. A lot of you shaking your heads. You've, you've, you've been with me on this journey. You've tried this stuff that the experts come in and train us in. It all forgets humanity. It forgets us. People become numbers. What if your small group of 10, which is really getting too big, does some hanging out together as 10 and then go to two separate corners of the room and you've got two groups of five and they process through these questions and then they get back together and they share highlights out of two of them. These two have already been shared, so I'm not giving anything away. What do you learn about God? You know, What, what were the best answers that were shared in each of the two groups about God's character. And then which of the I will statements do you think are the best? Of the eight, I feel like those are the right at the heart of transformation. Uh, so then everybody gets to experience something out of everybody, but we're all learning how to do it in smaller groups. And the first thing that it forces is... One guy like me can't do it. If I feel like the facilitator of the other group's got to be as good as me, I'm going to have to have a responsibility to raise up somebody else to facilitate that group. And I'm already multiplying. How can you begin to do what you're doing already in ways that force you to think about multiplying yourself? Now, you see, when it was dependent on my double master's degrees, 
theological training and 30 years of pulpit experience, that's not going to replicate. It won't go far enough. It won't go fast enough. It costs too much. But when it's simple enough that a 10-year-old A church in Chattanooga uh, had us come in, do some training. Uh, the previous groups that we had trained, there were, there were about 20 in each of those two. And we got down there, and they had 100 signed up. It was too big, but that's another story. We learned some things by our efforts to try to coach. But we knew one family was being radically impacted when about, we, we did this for 13 weeks there, week eight, one of the ladies stood up and said, our son, and he was 11 at the point, uh, we, we've been doing this in our home devotional, said, Mom and Dad, do you think I could facilitate a discovery group with a couple of the kids from my school who aren't Christians? And, you know, Mom was sort of asking permission for her son. Now, think about that. Why would she feel like she needed permission? But that, that you know, it just reveals some of our... Some of our, our challenge, we want to mobilize people, we want to multiply people, but how do, we, how do we get our control out? Part of why I wanted to share the interview with, with this young lady is, you know, it, it takes it somewhere else. Uh, it, it keeps this, you know, target, the center of the target. Uh, I, I really do believe it. You, you fundamentally disagree with me. You have the right to be wrong. Uh, that, that if, you know, if you're discipleship isn't uh, opening your eyes to the ethnic groups, all the ethnic groups. Have you been listening to Jesus? It's almost time. I want to close with one last statement. Our culture, and I'm not talking about the part out there that we're all rejecting, the part that has shaped us is fundamentally selfish. In pastor groups, we talk about people coming in with the words tattooed on their forehead, what's in it for me? When it's that pervasive, you're always going to have to stay aware that that's where we tend to take anything and everything. There are some folks here right now who are primarily concerned of what's in it for me. What's, what's going to make my discipleship better? What, what's going to make me shine brighter? What's going to fix my broken marriage? Following Jesus involves a cross. Following Jesus involves a death. What are you dying to? What are you giving up? Let's take a break. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. 
Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.